Hello and welcome to the Highland Ministry Podcast. Thank you for joining us for today's message. Today, Pastor Mike Wiggins brings the message entitled, Assembly Required, a message about the church. Now we encourage you to listen to today's message from Pastor Mike Wiggins. Amen. Thank you for all the music this morning. It's been good. And I want to ask you to take your Bibles this morning and turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. And uh, we're going to be looking primarily at uh, verse 25 this morning. Uh, and, uh, but I'm going to, in these days leading up to uh, the uh, Back to Church uh, Sunday, I'm going to be preaching some uh, on the church uh, in these Sundays. And I'm going to be talking about one of the, you know, today I'm going to talk today about assembly required. Now, I know what you think about when you think about that. You think about getting, um, you know, something that you got to put together, right? Uh, you know, some of it, sometimes you buy these things and it says some assembly required. You know, that's, uh, that's probably one of the biggest lies you've been told. Because a lot of times it's a lot more than just some, right? And uh, I don't like those things. I'm not, a, I'm not a good direction follower. I usually start off looking at the picture on the box, and then I have to do things over about three different times. And, uh, and uh, anyway, it, that's, uh, that's just the way I do it sometimes. But when I'm talking about assembly here, I'm talking about what we're doing right now. This is the assembly, right? This is the gathering of the church. And, and we gather together uh, in this building that is not really the church. The church comes to the building, right? Because Jesus resides in us. The Holy Spirit resides in us. And uh, we are the church. And so uh, there was a problem that uh, the writer of Hebrews, that we don't really know who this writer is, and, and uh, many people speculate as to who may have written Hebrews, but... Um, he says here um, in verse 24, And let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works. And then he says, not neglecting. In some of your texts, it may say not forsaking, right? Not neglecting, he says, to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Why would we have something called Back to Church Sunday? Why would we spend time doing something like that? You know, the truth of the matter is, is that we need to be reminded how important it is that we do just what we're doing right here. That we assemble together. That we come together. Now, that's just logical that we need to do that. But we also know that it is very biblical that we do what we're doing uh, here today. You know, in Acts 2, it records the birthday of the church. That is when the Holy Spirit descended upon 120 believers who were assembled together in the upper room. And then Acts also then records to us, for us, the growth process of this infant church. On the day of Pentecost, about 3,000 people believed the gospel. They repented of their sins, 
and were baptized as followers of Jesus Christ. And then it says for, to us in Acts 2.42, it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And the last sentence of Acts chapter 2 verse 47 reports, And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, I want you to notice that God did not add people to the church without saving them, right? That's a regenerate membership. God did not uh, add people without saving them, and God did not save them without adding them to the church. Uh, You see, there has always been, and when you study the Scripture... And when you look at the history of the Christian church, you always see that there is this special organic union or relationship of personal salvation and church membership. It is an unchanging pattern that we see all throughout the New Testament and throughout church history. When biblical Christianity has been practiced, Christians have always held a very high view of the church. It seems as though that has always been until now. Unfortunately, today, things things seem to be different. You see, there are many today, both unbelievers and professing Christians, who question what is the necessity and the relevance and the importance of the local church. And by the way, I want to tell you that anytime you see the word church, the church, the word there is the Greek word ekklesia, the called out ones, the, the assembled ones, gathered ones. In an overwhelming majority of the times that that appears in the scripture, it is referring to a local body of believers. There are a few times that it refers to what is called the universal church. That's all of us who know Jesus Christ as our Savior. But the overwhelming majority of the times, it refers to a local body of believers. But you see, it's a sad thing that in our generation today, there seems to be a new category, uh, you know, that biblically has never been, you know, uh, true. And that is that now we have uh, what is really referred to as kind of unchurched Christians. Christians that are not linked up to a church, (coughs) that are not associated with a church. Now that is very much in contrast to the historical Christianity that we see summarized in in words like uh, the words of a man by the name of Cyprian who said, outside the church, there is no salvation. In other words, the biblical answer to the question, who needs the church? Have you ever heard anybody say that? I have. I've talked to a lot of people about church. And people who who decide they're not going to go anymore, they're not going to be a participant in it anymore. Many people say, well, I'm a Christian, but I just don't want to be a part of the organized church. Well, I'm a Southern Baptist, and most of them are not really organized anyway, right? I don't mean that, but anyway, I'm just... Say, who needs the church? Well, the answer is, whoever wants to be saved. Now listen, 
I don't want you to misunderstand me here. I'm not saying that we're saved because we're a church member or that we attend church or that we, uh, you know, participate in church. That's not how we're saved. God forgives our sins on the basis of His grace and that we, by faith, place our trust in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. We are not saved because we're in the church, but you see, but God has made the church the steward of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know what that means? That means we are the ones who are the keepers. We are the ones who are to manage that. We're the ones who have the gospel of Jesus Christ. So a person can be a church member without being, you know, a Christian. I was for many years. But I can tell you this. A person who says they're a Christian, or who is a Christian, cannot be a healthy, growing, fruitful Christian if they are not participating as a member of a local church. Christian assembly is required in the, in, of, uh, in the Christian church. The classic scriptural ver- scripture verse that talks about church attendance is the verse that I just read to you there in verse 25, where he simply says, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, you know what he's really saying here? In other words, he's saying, don't give up on church. Don't give up on church. You know, the writer is, is giving a word of encouragement. Now, I know you're here this morning, so you, you understand that, but I want us to, all of us need to be reminded of that. There may be somebody watching online who will watch this later. They need to be reminded of that. We all need to understand why it is that we're here. You see, we don't need to give up on it. We have this word of encouragement. In other words, he's saying don't give up on it, don't abandon, don't desert the church community. And he goes on to say because this has become a habit of some people. It's become a habit. And we need to be reminded. We need to know, folks, the importance of gathering together as the church. Your attendance and your involvement in this local church is vital. Listen to me. It is vital to your spiritual nourishment. A national survey of the top two reasons why people stop coming to church is for one thing, they say they're just so busy. They got too many things going on. All the things that's going on in their families, all the things that's going on in their homes. And I could say a lot about that, but I'm not. And then another one said, another thing, another answer was that church is boring. It's just not exciting. I have an answer for that a little later on. I know that church Sunday morning, I know Sunday mornings can be hard. I know there's a lot that goes on on Saturday. You may stay up a little later than you should on Saturday night. And ball games fill Saturdays and, and golfing and yard work and all of those things. And it allows us to come up with reasons why we will not attend. Or it's not important for us to go on a particular day. I heard about a man named Henry Jones. He Woke up one morning and his wife was standing over him. She was shaking his shoulder and she says, You got to get up. You got you to get up. We got to get ready to go to church. He said, I don't want to go to church. 
I want to stay in the bed. And she crossed her arms and she said, you give me three good reasons why you need want to stay in this bed and not go to church. And he said, the first one is I, I don't get anything out of the service. And secondly, those people don't like me. And third, you know, I, I don't like those people. And then he said to his wife, he said, now you give me three reasons why I should go. And she said, first... It'll do you good. Second, there are people that really do like you. And third, you got to go. You're the pastor. <laughs> yeah. You ever heard of this? Uh, there's a spiritual epidemic. It's called Morbus Sabbaticus. You ever heard of that? In layman terms, it's called Sunday morning sickness. It's really kind of a strange thing because it, you know, it's uh, the, the only, it, it doesn't affect your appetite. It, it doesn't affect your eyes. You can, you can read the paper or look at stuff on the internet or watch television. And the only symptom is, is you don't want to get up and go to church. And strangely, you don't feel any of this coming on on Saturday. It just hits you on Sunday morning. And, it, and they're probably going to last only about 24 hours. And, and then, you know, it, the amazing thing is about time church service is getting over, the patient starts feeling better. And uh, able to get up and go to work the next day. And the amazing thing is it strikes again the next Sunday. And the next Sunday and the next Sunday until it becomes chronic. You know, I think what we need to do is we need to ask the Lord for, to heal us of this morbid sabbaticus and deliver us from morbid sabbaticus, this dreaded disease that, that causes us to stay away from the church. You see, King David said in Psalm 122.1, he said, I rejoiced when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. In other words, this is a big deal, folks. This is a big deal. I know a lot of people driving by, they, don't, they see the cars here and they know there's somebody in here doing something. Many of them don't know what it is. But they don't realize what a big deal this is. This is a big deal. But I want to just talk this morning real quick about what are the benefits of assembling together. If assembly is required, what are the benefits of doing that? Well, first of all, church is where we confess our salvation. You see, the epistle of Hebrews was written to a group of what, were, what we can call at-risk Christians who were tempted, they were Jewish Christians, and they were being tempted to turn away from the church because of severe persecution that has arisen. And the anonymous writer of Hebrews wrote this letter to challenge them to persevere. And so he said to them, he uses a word telling them that, you know, to emphasize why they need to do this, he uses the word better. And he wants them to know that what we have in the Lord Jesus Christ is better than the religious system of Judaism that they've been a part of. And so in Hebrews 10... And we're not going to go back and read this, but in verses 19 through 21, this is the context of where we're looking here. 
the writer summarizes the argument by, by, by making, uh, that he has been making really all the way since chapter 3 of Hebrews, that the Lord Jesus himself is our high priest. He is the one who makes the perfect atoning sacrifice, who established for us a new and living way to come to the Father through his blood. And then on the basis of the person and work of Jesus Christ, he calls his readers to hold fast. And here's what he says. He uses these words. He uses the word, let us. And so he says, the first command relates to God. He says in verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled with clean uh, and sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And then the second command relates to self. In verse 23, he says, Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And then he gives what is the third command, and, it is, and it's the same thing. Let us, in, verse, in, the, in the verse that we've looked at here, it's our text, and he said, Let us consider, there in verse 24, how we disturb one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And so he says, what, you know, here, you know, when, what do we are to say to the person who is ready to give up on Jesus? You see, the chapter gives a, what is a divinely inspired instructions for those who are ready to throw in the towel. And it especially teaches us here to commit ourselves to the local assembly of believers so that we can be, be submissive to each other and accountable to each other and responsibility that we have, you know, to each other so we can persevere in the faith. And then you go on in verses 26 and 27, he gives the warning of falling away. And he says, for if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that, can, that will consume the adversaries. You see, the warning here about falling away is not talking about the believer being able to lose their salvation. You see, folks, if a person is a true follower of Jesus Christ, if you've been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, if you've been regenerated by the work of the Holy Spirit, I want you to know that that is an eternal work. That is eternal and that your perseverance is not only tied there to what is the preservation of the saints, but I want you to know it is also tied to the partnership of the saints. See, we need each other. It helps to sustain us as true believers and followers of Jesus Christ. And it refutes those who say that the church doesn't have anything to do with salvation. You ever heard anybody say that? The church doesn't have anything to do with salvation. It has everything to do with salvation. In 1 Timothy 3.15, Paul says, I write so that you may know that you ought to conduct yourselves in the house, how you should conduct yourselves in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. The pillar and foundation of a building is what holds it up, right? If the foundation gives or the pillars fall, the building will not stand. And likewise, folks, the church is the pillar and foundation of the truth. Your faith 
in the truth of the gospel will not be able to stand without the church in your life. It won't. You need it. That's why you need to be a part of it. That's why you need to, if you're, if you're coming and you're kind of just coming and looking and maybe you're just sort of, you know, window shopping or whatever, you need to link yourself up with a church. Maybe this church, this would be a good one to link yourself up with. You see, the confession of our salvation requires the assembly. But then secondly, church is where we encourage and strengthen one another. You know, the church is not a building. I said that earlier, right? It is, uh, it's made up of people. It's made up of believers. God's people give support and encouragement during life's problems. We receive strength from each other. Cindy and I were last night, yesterday evening, and uh, we were at the hospital in, in, uh, there in Milton, and with a a member of the church there that I've been his pastor now for about 25 years. Really, I felt like I've been his pastor the whole time, even though they lived away for part of the early years that I was there. Their family was in the church. He's a charter member of the church. And we were there with them. And we were supporting each other. We were supporting them. I can't tell you the amount of times I've sat in a hospital waiting room and been there with families who had their their loved one back there having some kind of surgery and it was severe and they didn't know what was going to happen. And there would be many of us gathered there and we were there supporting one another. I see it happen in this church. You have somebody comes and they have a person, they have a graveside service like they did this week. And what do you do? You fix food for them and you gather out there and you support them, right? You're supporting somebody who used to be a member of this church, moved away. But that's what we do. You know, you know the California redwood trees are the tallest and oldest trees in the world. And uh, they stand hundreds of feet high. Some of them are over 2,500 years old. It's amazing. And as a result, you would think that the redwoods would have this tremendous root system that would go way deep down into the earth. But compared to other trees, redwoods do not have many roots. And they don't go very deep. Yet the reason why redwoods have stood for all of these centuries is because their roots are intertwined together. Did you know that? The roots of those redwoods are all intertwined together. And what happens is they lock in with each other and they hold the other ones up. That's the way it ought to be with Christians. We stand together against the storms of life. We stand together against the storms that, you know, uh, that assault our faith in Jesus Christ. We hold one another up. You see, Christian fellowship is succinctly summarized there in verse 24. It says, and let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. One of my favorite verses in Scripture is a verse that uh, became very important to uh, the men where I pastored in the men's ministry. It's a ministry, it's a, a men ministering to men, but in Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen, it says, iron sharpens iron, 
and one man sharpens another. And now you don't sharpen iron by hugging and caressing and pampering, do you? If you sharpen iron, and what happens there is you have to get iron rubbing against each other kind of in, a, in the wrong way, and it, and it sharpens it. And likewise, folks, your true friends are not people. Listen, young people, your true friends are not the ones that's always going to agree with you. You're, they're not the ones that are always going to go along with what you want to do in your agenda. Your best friends are the ones who are going to make you better. And that involves sometimes putting a supportive arm around somebody's shoulder. And sometimes it means having to say the tough things, the hard things. You need both comfort of tender love and the confrontation of tough love. You need brothers and sisters who will be there with you and who love you enough who will stir you up to good works. You see, that's the command to stir one another up to love and good works. And it, it confronts this problem when somebody says church is boring. I don't really get anything out of it. It doesn't meet my needs. So what? That's what I say. So what? If you practice a spiritual discipline solely for personal benefit, it perverts that discipline. And you rob yourself of its true benefit. And God is not pleased. And that includes corporate worship. Because you see, one of the very basic things in our growing in Christ is not only the intake of God's Word. It's not prayer. Not only prayer. It's also fellowshipping with one another. It's assembling together with one another. We desperately need each other. And, but here's the problem with worship and why worship sometimes is boring. is because some people treat it like a football game. And someone said that a football game is where you got 22 men out on the field who desperately need rest, and you got thousands in the stand who desperately need exercise, Right? And so what happens is, is we've turned church into a spectator sport, something that we just kind of watch. And, we, and instead of saying we're going to worship the Lord today, if we really said what we're doing, we're going to watch worship today, right? And so what happens is we go there and we kind of operate like that and we just treat it as a spectator sport and we sort of, we get the ministry of others. They sing for us. They share with us. They share God's words with us. And, and we talk to some of our acquaintances and we go home. And then sometimes even on the way home, we talk about how that service suited our taste. How it touched our emotions or met our needs or didn't. You see, corporate worship is three-dimensional. It's God blessing us. It's us blessing God. And then also, it's us blessing one another. Do you know I've shared with people, you know, that people think about their attendance is not important. Listen, I, I, your attendance is important to me. It means a tremendous amount to have somebody to preach to, right? It's a lot better preaching to people in pews and empty pews. It's also really exciting when you see people who go to church 
Even though they have all kinds of physical problems and difficulties, but yet they go. And you're encouraged by that. But also, let me give you a third thing here, another benefit. Church is where we obey God's commands. You see, in in verse 25, it teaches us that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, your presence and your participation in corporate worship are mandatory. Did you hear that? Your presence is mandatory. If you were to ask me, what is the one verse in the Bible that commands that we go to the church? I would give you Hebrews 10, 25. But the truth is that verse does not technically command you to go to church. It commands you not to forsake the assembly. Yet in commanding the reader not to forsake the assembly, the text assumes a previous established commitment to corporate worship. So it tells us not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. The the word there is neglecting. And it is an emphatic intensive, meaning totally abandoned or totally forsaken. Let me just tell you what that word, how it's used at other places in the Scripture. That is the very word that's used in Matthew 27 and Mark 15, where Jesus cried, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's the word that Paul used in 2 Corinthians 4, 9, where he described himself as persecuted but not forsaken. And it is the word that is used in Hebrews 13, 5, in the promise of God, who said, I will never leave you, and I will never what? Forsake you, right? Never forsake you. So it tells us this, don't forsake Don't abandon, don't desert the gathering together as Christians. Every Christian should be marked present when church assembles on the Lord's Day. You know, the church I pastored for 34 years there at Pine Terrace had about 2,600 members. About the best we ever got where we were averaging was about 750. We had some Sundays where we would go over 900 or so. But where's the rest of those people, right? Where are the rest of them? I guarantee you, I've not looked at your membership in a while, but I guarantee your membership, you've got a whole lot more people in membership than you have that come on an average every Sunday, right? When I was in seminary, I had, a, had an instructor who told us that, you know, at that time, Southern Baptist had 13.5 million members, and he said this. He said, the FBI and the CIA couldn't find half of them. That ought not be. That ought not be. We ought to be here. The call to weekly corporate attendance and worship, that may sound legalistic and impractical. But you see, that is the kind of high view that we see in the Scripture because what he says here is that it is, um, has become the practice of some. Right? And you know the reason why it was happening? I told you earlier, it's because of persecution. And yet, in the midst of persecution... The Holy Spirit, God led the writer of Hebrews to write this word saying, do not neglect the assembling of yourselves together, even in the midst of persecution. And folks, I know things are not real good for Christians in our world and country right now as they should be, but I want to tell you, we're not being persecuted, right? We give all kinds of reasons. I, I know God does not... Excuse us for, as I 
H.B. Charles said, our sinful, selfish, silly, superficial reasons that we give. We ought to be here. I heard about a, an elderly saint who had lost his uh, hearing and lost his eyes, uh, almost, you know, almost blind, almost deaf, but he never stopped going to church. And one person asked him, you know, seeing that he really couldn't hear a whole lot, he couldn't really see anything, said, why do you continue attending church when you can't see what's going on or hear real well? Here's what that man said. He said, I want to show everybody whose side I'm on. I want to show everybody whose side I'm on. And that ought to be our, that ought to be what we want to do. That ought to be what is our desire, that we want to show all of our friends, all of our neighbors, everybody, I am on the side of Jesus Christ. And then lastly, church is where we anticipate the Lord's return. So what does he say there? Not neglecting to meet together is a habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You know, while there are some who would say the church meets too much, I believe God would say we don't meet enough. We don't meet enough. Hebrews 3, uh, 12 and 13 says, Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you in you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Now, that is what it's exhorting us to do. That's what the Word of God is exhorting us to do. And then even as we see that day drawing near, when Jesus Christ is going to come back, when we see that day and we do see that day, then we need to be doing all the more, encouraging each other. One survey reports that 66% of Americans believe that Jesus will return to earth someday. Yet one-third of those people never attend church. That's a blatant contradiction, isn't it? The imminent return of Jesus Christ should be the biblical motivation for us being faithful to the Christian assembly. In fact, the word translated meet together or assembling that you see there in verse 25 is only used twice in the New Testament. It's used here in this place in verse 25, but it's also used in 2 Thessalonians 2.1 where Paul speaks of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to Him. It's the two times. And those who expect to meet Jesus, to meet Him in heaven, ought to be meeting with other Christians here on this earth. And here's why. Because the closer we get, to the return, it's not going to get better and better, folks. It's going to get worse and worse. And we see it all around us. The truth is we do it better together, right? We do it better together. The church needs you, and you need the church. And, you know, I know, I know there's, a, there's a great need when we uh, all had to, because of this pandemic, and we all didn't know exactly what we needed to do, and we, we uh, shut our churches down. Uh, 
I'm grateful we didn't do like some places in the country. Some of them were shut down for a year, year and a half. We were shut down for nine weeks, and I thought it was an eternity. And so people got used to watching online. We did things like we bought all kind of camera, new cameras. We did some stuff. We added all kinds of stuff to make sure that what we were doing online was as close to being there as we could make it. But you can do all of those things, folks. And it'll never, never substitute for what you're doing right now. Online is not a substitute for being together. It's great when you can do it. It's great when you're sick. It's great when you're traveling. Uh, it, it, those, those things, that's good. And it's good to have online. It's really good. But it will never substitute for being with each other. I've had people tell me, well, you know, I love that preacher so-and-so on TV, this preacher so-and-so, and I, you know, and I, I didn't do it because I'm not, this, I'm not this kind of person, but I wanted to say, does he visit you when you're sick? Is he going to come see you when somebody in your family dies? Is that church going to fix a meal for you when you have something in your life where you need that help? No. It's good. To, I love good preaching, folks. I, that's what I listen to when I drive. Most times preaching, teaching. But it doesn't substitute for the church. That's why people need to come back to church. That's why you need to invite them to be back here. Because there are benefits. It's where we confess our salvation. It's where we encourage and strengthen one another. It's where we obey God's commands. And it's where we anticipate the Lord's return. Let's stand and pray. Lord, we do thank you, Lord, that we can be here today. As we've already said. Lord, we thank you that we can worship you here today. And I thank you for these that are gathered here. And Lord, I pray that next week there'll be more gathered. And next week after that, there'll be more gathered. And Father, that when we have that back to church Sunday, we'll see this place filled. But not just for that one day. We'll continue to see that, Lord. Seeing how important it is that we gather together. Now, Lord, in this invitation, I pray for that person in this room who maybe doesn't know you. They've never trusted you. They're not a part of the church because they've never come to know you. You you don't add them to the church until they're saved. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd save them today. And I pray for those who are away from you. Lord, maybe they're here, but they're, they're still away from you in their heart. And I pray they'd come today. Maybe there's those that need to join. Lord, help them to come today. Oh, Lord, I pray that you just be Lord of this invitation. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You have just heard a message from God's Word, and now it's your chance to respond. What is God calling you to do in response to today's message? Let us know by going to hbcmolino.com forward slash life. We'd love to connect with you. Thanks for joining us today on the Highland Network. Enjoy your day.